Welcome to the Thrive Church Podcast. We are so glad that you are joining us for this time today. We hope that this message will encourage you, build your faith, and help you thrive with God and thrive in life. Now to the message. But we are in an awesome message series right now. It started two weeks ago called What Matters Most You Don't Get Paid to Do. And man, it's just such a foundational series in my mind because there's so many seeds and principles in God's word that you're really sowing like eternal seeds. And sometimes we don't see the harvest for a long time. We don't get paid to do it. It might not pay our bills right away, but it matters to the kingdom of God, which has an eternal impact on your life and on mine and on other people's lives. And so I just hope you're catching the spirit of this series and how foundational it is for building a kingdom life for you. And you know, I, Josiah set this beautiful foundation last week in his, in his message about setting the temperature of your home and, and your relationship, not just your home, but that really you and I have the opportunity to be intentional every day with how we set the temperature in our relationships, in our marriages, with our children, with you name it, fill in the blank, we have the opportunity to set that temperature. And he's laid this beautiful foundation that's going to just like tee me up for today, but that the foundation and motive should always be grounded and rooted in love, the love of Christ, the unconditional love of Christ. And that when we can kind of springboard off of that place and continue to build our relationships from that place of love, we get to step into a flourishing place with the people that we love, with the people we work with, with the little humans that we're raising, you name it. And so today, I get to build on that, like I said. And my message title is, uh, yeah, I don't want to talk about it. That's my message title. I don't want to talk about it. And it's about having difficult conversations. Has anyone had to have a difficult conversation, avoided a difficult conversation, or something else at some point in their life or this week? And when I was researching this, my, my husband told me about two months ago that this was the topic that he would like me to take. And so I started reading and, you know, re- researching and getting in the Word, and I came across this this quote, and it said, the single biggest problem in communication is the illusion that it's taken place. Come on, anybody in any relationship. It made me laugh, and I thought about so many different examples, and I thought, oh, so you mean that my, my amazing husband, who I love so much, that when I'm annoyed at the growing drop zone beside our bedside table of his clothing, that my annoyance was not a conversation with him? Are you serious? That's what you're telling me? How is this not getting across to my man? (laughs) We've been married 10 years. I can say that to him. (laughs) Or maybe it's a little bit deeper than that. Maybe uh, it goes beyond a drop zone pile and maybe you have a significant other that's paying less and less attention to you and spending too much time at work. And so your passive aggressive comments about how it must be so lovely for his work to have such an intimate relationship with him, they don't, those comments 
notes don't seem to be landing anywhere or changing anything. The illusion that communication is happening. Or that friend that keeps blowing you off or changing plans last minute or coming and then bailing early. You decide, I'm going to ghost them. I'm just going to ghost them. That's communication, right? That's sending the message that I need them to hear. Or maybe it's something so silly like your coworker and their cubicle. You walk up to it and you can smell it from a mile away because they're so messy and they're so dirty. And you think that by you being more OCD and keeping things even more clean and keeping yours nice and smelling good is the communication that is needed in that situation. But the convert, the conversation never actually took place. But our actions and behaviors were simply supposed to do the talking. But now your behavior is actually creating the very thing that you wanted to have change in that relationship, that you didn't want in the first place. So my annoyance with my husband is actually just driving my annoyance with other things because I haven't had the conversation. Or the connection that I want with my friend that keeps bailing on me, I'm actually creating a bigger distance between us by ghosting them, the very thing I didn't want. Or that significant other and I'm making the passive aggressive comments, all I really want is them to be there with me. And yet because I'm passive aggressive, it's actually pushing them further and further away and they're spending more and more time away than they were before because it's such an unfun environment. <laughs> Let's be real. And so today, the goal of today's message is to equip you and I with godly tools for having difficult conversations and for you to see the importance of doing them well. Now, I am no perfect person at this, but after my own life experiences, after pastoring for many, many years now, after leading people in, very, in corporations, in nonprofit situations, I see the trend is the same. The difficult conversations are frequently avoided to the detriment of relationships and or organizations. And mostly, what's so sad and crazy to me is that it's actually just because people don't seem to have the skills or the tools to effectively communicate the truth. And either we water it down so much that the mess message completely gets lost in translation, or we bubble up so much and keep it in that the truth just explodes out of us ultimately damaging our relationships and our rapport with people. And you know, as I, I just lived life and prepared for this series, my hope is that we see that it's as unloving to keep silent as it is to have outbursts of anger. And the Bible talks so much about the importance of this. I'll use the example of how the Bible talks about that the child who's not disciplined by his father is not loved. And really, when we're disciplining our children, we're having hard conversations to hopefully change the trajectory of our children's lives. And God's saying, you don't love if you don't have these conversations. 
And he actually says that, it says in, a pro, in the proverb that discipline is so important that a child that's undisciplined is a disgrace to his mother. It's a disgrace. And I only share that because it shows the value that God puts on difficult conversations so that they can flourish. And you know, so many times I found that, especially as Christians, we can see it as the unloving thing to try and speak the truth in love. Because so often we just don't have the tools and we operate out of our flesh instead of God's principles of walking this out. And so instead we often will keep silent under the guise of protecting the relationship or of walking in love. And God's saying, that's not my heart for your relationships. I have so much more. And so what makes a difficult conversation? One, opinions vary. I love this definition. One, you have a different opinion. Two, stakes are high. Three, emotions are strong. Has anyone gone from just having a nice little conversation to boom, all of a sudden there is a difference of opinions, there are stakes that are high, and your emotions are bubbling up on the inside of you. Now, as silly as it might be, my husband, okay, our opinions vary on the cleanliness that our bedside tables should take. He's great. He's getting better. I don't know. The stakes are high simply because am I really going to let this wedge come between our relationship? Because let me tell you, relationships have broken down over small, far smaller things than a, a drop zone pile. And my emotions run strong because can he not see how I care about this? Now, that's a silly example for you guys, but something that continually can get in the way of relationships. But in all seriousness, difficult conversations can apply to, what about the coworker that keeps taking over important projects and pushing you out of them? Or the spouse that spending habits have now broken your trust? or put you in a bad situation, or the child whose disrespect and outbursts of anger, anger towards the family when a simple question of, is asked of them. What about those times? Or the friend that talks about you behind your back but then pretends to be your best friend to your face. In all of these cases, a cases opinions vary, stakes are high, and emotions run strong. And the research that I found that the key skill, the key skill of effective leaders, teammates, parents, loved ones, is the capacity to skillfully address emotionally and politically risky issues. The key skill. And you don't have to choose between being honest and being effective. You can have both. So I thought we'd start with some encouragement about what having these conversations can do for you. Here's, here's some pretty staggering information, and I just think it's so cool how even when it challenges us, God always instructs us to do things that are going to expand our life, make our relationships flourish, and go to a deeper level. So obviously, one of the things difficult conversation will do for you is it will improve your relationships. Okay, yeah, great. But did you know that research shows that scientists can now predict with 90% accuracy if a marriage is going to make it for the long haul or fail. 
purely based on that couple's ability to navigate difficult conversations. It wasn't the frequency in which they fought. It wasn't the subject matter that they fought about. It was their ability to, when those things happen, walk through it in a healthy way. 90% accuracy. And when we do it God's way, we just set ourselves up for success. It will improve your health. Did you know that there's research that showed that uh, people live 21% longer when they have difficult conversations and do them well. You have a stronger immune system. And finally, this one's crazy. If you're a business owner, you work for an organization, some sort of leader, it actually improves your organization. They found that companies save over $1,500 and an eight-hour workday for every difficult conversation that's had. One conversation saves an organization $1,500 and an eight-hour work week. You get more production, healthier work environment. How amazing. So I'm here to tell you the benefits far outweigh the risk of having the difficult conversation. So what about you? Today, as you listen for God's, in God's word and his instruction, what are the specific conversations that gnaw at you the most? Which conversations, if you held them, would improve your relationships, would strengthen your immune system, and would increase your quality of life and well-being? I have this beautiful analogy that God dropped into my heart as I was preparing this. Now, I was a, I'm an athlete, was an athlete, oh gosh, in a lifetime ago. I was a coach at, at a high level, and so I got the privilege of getting lots of education and um, certifications to be able to coach at the level that I did. And in one of my, my classes, they shared this study that was done that I think paints such a beautiful word picture for us to latch on to here. And they, they started studying different sports, and all these scientists were like, they always want to make sports more inventive and creative and fast and fun and, and crazy and more entertaining. And so they start, they've done it with multiple sports, but they started this with hockey. And they thought, you know, hockey has the, if you don't know, it has the ice and then it has the boards around it. And they thought, what if we remove the boards from the ice and we make the ice a little bit bigger? What would happen? Surely these teams would get more creative. It would be way more fast paced. It would be way more entertaining. But do you know what happened? Teams actually started to play closer, tighter together. Creativity went down because they're all clumped together. I mean, how can you make plays when you're like bunched in together? Less people were involved because obviously there's not as much space to use as many people. And yet as soon as they put the boards up, players started using the fullness of the ice that was given to them. And that is what, bound, you can call that a boundary, but difficult conversations set up the boundaries of our lives that actually allow, allow the fullness of all that God has for it to be played out. There's more creativity. There's more people involved. There's more joy. What an amazing picture. And as much as boards can seem limiting or painful, just like difficult conversations seem limiting, they actually bring fullness. Now, maybe you've run into, disclaimer, the boards 
of relationships before. You've tried this difficult conversation thing, and it is painful, or someone's had one with you. It is painful, and maybe you got hurt, so now you want to avoid them at all costs. Or you've run into the boards and got hurt, so now you hold things in until you bubble over and you can't hold them in anymore. And you have outbursts of anger. Either way, there is no judgment. But even a hockey player gets thrown into the boards every game. (laughs) Every single game. But the great ones bounce off and continue to play the game, knowing that the boards actually protected them from greater injury. Even God himself set boundaries. We see this in Proverbs 8.29. It says, I was there when he set the limits of the seas so they would not be spread beyond their boundaries. The ocean is such a beautiful thing to enjoy, to play in, to take in. Come on, who likes the ocean? It's beautiful. But even that has boundaries that God created in the physical world. When people would take the land in the Old Testament, the very first thing they would do was set out the boundary limits for each family so they knew where they could live freely and enjoy what God had given them in peace and enjoy. And, go, and the Bible says, do not move those ancient boundary lines. In other words, we all know where it's okay to play, so don't mess with it. And if you set boundaries in the physical realm, how much more does God want us to walk in boundaries in our relationships, in our spiritual life, so that we can enjoy it more? So are hard conversations that you are having limiting or empowering your relationships Are your relationships going to the fullness of what they could be? Well, today, the good news is we're going to find the pathway that God has to guide us through difficult conversations so we can have hope-filled futures if we're courageous enough to have them. So I'm going to give three keys today that you can walk away with right away um, for having difficult conversations. And the first key is to start with your own heart. You know, the only person you can truly control, you've probably heard this before, but the only person you can control is yourself in any situation. And that's why the Bible instructs us in Psalm 139, 23. It says, search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there are any hurtful ways in me and lead me in the everlasting way. It says, Lord, search my heart. Lord, find any unclean way in me. It doesn't say, Lord, search their heart and please point out everything that's unclean in it so that they can deal with themselves. No, it says, Lord, search me first. And we know how important that is because out of the heart, what happens? The mouth speaks. Isn't that right? And so we've got to come to the Lord and say, Lord, show me the parts of my heart that are not motivated in this situation by the right spirit. I must be sure to get my heart right before the Lord first because that's where life and death, pain or healing, joy or mourning flow from. 
Proverbs 4, 20 to 26, again, goes deeper in this. Of search, Start with your own heart. It says, my son, give attention to my words. Incline your ear to my sayings. Do not let them depart from your eyes. Keep them in the midst of your heart. For out of it springs issues of life. Put away from you a deceitful mouth and put perverse lips far from you. Let your eyes look straight ahead and your eyelids look right before you. Ponder the path of your feet and let your ways be established. When our heart is filled with the word of God, when our ear is inclined to what God and the Holy Spirit is saying and doing, when it's fixed on Jesus, life will flow from our lips. When we keep our hearts with all diligence, we will be intentional to keep the conversation onto the root of the problem. Looking straight, it says look straight ahead right before you. It will keep you from saying perverse, deceitful, destructive things. When our hearts are, and eyes and our ears are looking around at every other detail than our own heart and the word of Jesus, things get ugly. I don't know about you guys. <laughs> I know that in our marriage, there's a big difference between when I'm keeping my heart with diligent, diligence, when my ear is tuned in to what Holy Spirit is saying, when I'm in the word consistently, when I'm praying for my husband and my family, I know that then, when, not if, but when annoying or hurtful things come between us, how I walk out those conversations look entirely different than when my eyes are darting to and fro for every little detail that would affirm how I'm feeling. And that is when unity and reconciliation, and love can continue to grow and flourish between us. And you know, as I was preparing for this, I found, I, I was like, Lord, I need a Bible story to show it, because it's great, great for me to say this, but Jesus, you are our greatest example. And I can see no more difficult conversation in the Bible than between Jesus and the woman at the well. So for anyone that doesn't know this story, this woman is at the well getting water, and she was sinning. Like, this woman was sinning. She had had five husbands. She was living with a man she wasn't married to at the time when, she, when Jesus was at the well with her. And he came to her, and he could have been harsh with her. He could have been justified in just reading out all of her sins, bringing correction to her. Yet we see in his encounter with her how he led with his heart to see her free and whole. So we're, he's, they're going to put up John 4.10, but this is kind of like right after he's asked for some water, and she's like, you don't even have a bucket, and they kind of have this little exchange. And then Jesus leads with his heart and says, if you only knew the gift God has for you and who you are speaking to, you would ask me, and I would give you living water. Before he started confronting the sin in her life, he established his heart was for her to walk in freedom in relationships. His heart was for her to seek first the living water of him rather than the dry and empty well of another man. His heart was to see her whole. And from his language, you can see 
Jesus walk his heart out for the woman through the entire conversation. So first key, start with your heart. Lord, search my heart. Find the unclean way in me, for I know that life and death flow from it. And my heart isn't determined by the person that offended me. My heart is determined by how I walk this out. Key number two is to make dialogue, make it safe for open dialogue. What is dialogue? It is the free flow of, keyword, relevant information. To make dialogue safe for both people. And I don't know about you, but the temptation is when pressure is on, when emotions are strong, opinions vary, stakes are high, to stop worrying about the goal of dialogue and understanding and instead start looking for ways to win, to punish, or to protect yourself. Can I get an amen? But if the people who do this best the people who do this effectively continue. When the pressure starts to rise, they come back to, what do I really want out of this conversation? And how would I act if that's how I really wanted this to end? Safety is created in that place. And you see Jesus invite this woman at the well into this dialogue because we know that Jesus knew the whole story. He knew about her five husbands. He's God. He knew about the sin in her life. And yet he still created opportunity for dialogue without judgment. How beautiful. We're going to read this story. John 4, 9 is where we'll start. we'll start. She said to Jesus, you are a Jew and I'm a Samaritan woman. Why are you asking me for a drink? Jesus replied, if you only knew the gift God has for you and who you were speaking to, you would ask me and I would give you living water. But sir, you don't have a rope or a bucket and this well is uh, very deep. Where would you get living water? Besides, what do you think? You're greater than our ancestor Jacob who gave us this well. How can you offer better water than he and his sons and his animals enjoyed? You can see that she's safe to bring her thoughts of, hey, I don't see this the same way as you, Jesus. And then he says, go and get your husband, Jesus told her. Well, I don't have a husband, the woman replied. Jesus said, you're right. You don't have a husband, for you have had five husbands, and you aren't even married to the man you're living with now. You certainly spoke the truth. Sir, the woman said, you must be a prophet. So tell me, why is it that you Jews insist that Jerusalem is the only place of worship while we Samaritans claim it is here at Mount Gerizim where our ancestors worship? You can see from this encounter, there's this free flow of information between them. You can see by the questions that the woman felt free to ask that there was safety to ask potentially offensive questions to Jesus Yet he responded back with dialogue, with safety, and with wise words. Now what I see in this, there are, there are three statements. If you write nothing else down, oh my goodness, I will tell you the story of how these have served me well. But we see Jesus even walk this out. If you are ever having a difficult conversation, this is how you keep it safe. This is what I see. This is how it makes me feel. And this is what I want. Jesus went, this is what I see. You are thirsty for water that will refresh you. I see that you have five husbands and currently living with a man that's not your husband. I see that it's not satisfying you. This is how it makes me feel. There's a better way for you to live than what you're living, and it makes me sad where you are. This is what I want. I want you to live knowing that I'm the Messiah 
and for that to change the way you live and you worship? Will you drink from the well of living water and change and change? This is what I see. This is how it makes me feel. This is what I want. You know, I, I grew up um, not in a Christian home. I wasn't saved till first year of university. I never went to church. And yet I had a mother who taught me these godly principles. And my earliest memory is like 11 or 12. No joke. Like I said, I played a lot of sports. I was real fiery like I still am now. Maybe I'm toned down a little bit, but I was even more fiery back then. And man, I would come home and I would have beefs with my teammates, with my coaches, with my principals, with my friends. And my mom would walk me through this process. Honey, what do you see? How does it make you feel? What do you want? And she would just keep going back over it as I ranted and I raved and keep forcing me to come back to those three principles. And no matter how much I raved, I could usually get to the place of, well, for sure this is what it makes me feel like. <laughs> I could get to the place of, this is, what I, uh, this is what I see. But often I couldn't get to the place of, this is what I want. And my mom, as she so lovingly does for anyone that's met her, she's a real straight shooter. She is not afraid to tell me the truth, uh, even if it hurts me. And so she just kept lovingly saying to me, if you can't figure out what you want from this person, you have two options. One, you need to think longer before having this conversation because if you don't know what you want from them, you're just spewing your emotions onto that person that is not someone else's responsibility but actually your own. Or two, you need to let it go because it's obviously your problem and not theirs. 11 and 12 years old. And so she would just sit here. Really, her, her heart was that if you're not willing to come to the table with solutions, then you're just picking a fight. And you need to work on yourself, honey. And she would make me rehearse this over and over with her. This is what I see. This is how it makes me feel. This is what I want. Until I was confident enough to walk into my principal's office or walk up to my coach in, before practice or sit down with a teammate and say those three words. And then she would sit there and play the other person and go, well, this is what I see. And this is what I feel. And this is how it, uh, this is what I want from you. And she would just teach me how to have this safe dialogue between two people so that ultimately we could come to unity and be reunited on the same team. I am so thankful for those principles that she gave me that are godly. They've served me and they will serve you. So first, we start with our heart. Second, we make it safe for open dialogue. And third is to analyze the story you're telling yourself. This one might not make people happy, but this is what happens when we start to come into a difficult conversation. We see or we hear something. We start telling ourselves a story about what we saw or what we heard. It makes us feel a certain way, and we act accordingly. 
that's just how life operates. You see and you hear, you tell yourself a story, you feel and you act. And unfortunately, newsflash, the story we tell ourselves is not always accurate. And when we move forward with the story and allow our feelings to respond to that story, we start to act from our sinful nature, from the place of an unloving way and ungodly ways to others and to ourselves. And that's why analyzing your story you're telling yourself instead of believing it's the truth is critical. Ephesians 4.26 is a fairly well-known Bible verse, and it says, Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your wrath. And really, the gist of it is, it's okay to feel angry. Anger is not the sin. But how, and this is not brand new, but how you act out of that anger is what God warns us about. So when it says, do not let the sun go down on your wrath, what it's really saying is let's get the story straight so you can act accordingly rather than act out of your emotions. Because I always think, man, sometimes I need to cool off, you know, let the sun go down. But the goal of not letting the sun go down is to get the story straight. And you know, we know that Ephesians 14 talks about speaking the truth in love. And really, speaking the truth is just how you have experienced what has happened. But when we submit that to God's truth, and then the truth about the other person's experience, that's where we get a more complete and full picture. And you know, it's, it's so funny how God works. Because like I said, I had months to prepare for this. And so I'm doing this research just simply to help you guys. That's all I wanted, to help you walk in flourishing relationships. And then God made me use it. <laughs> and long story short, without getting into details, I, I have a friendship that has had many ups and downs. It's an important friendship, and it's just, it hasn't always been pretty. And for years, I've been dealing in unhealthy ways. And like I said, you know, I'm pretty good at, like, the hard conversations with my husband, with my kids, when I'm in a leadership role. But there is something about me and friends that God is like, yeah, you need to get better at this. And really, the crux, so about two, three weeks ago, God gave me the opportunity to sit down and have this difficult conversation that we'd never had. And the crux of the problem, the stories we'd been telling ourselves in response to what we were experiencing from what we saw and what we heard about the situation. Yes, there were factual experiences happening, but when when the silence broke and the opportunity for safe dialogue, God had already worked on my heart before that, and the opportunity for another side of the story came, reconciliation, true reconciliation came into that relationship. And I share this because I never thought, I thought that relationship was beyond repair. But no relationship is beyond repair when we approach it with godly principles. I was confusing my stories with facts. 
And God said, you need to question your facts and challenge the illusion that what you're feeling is the only right emotion in this circumstance. And you know, this story made me feel, the stories I was telling myself made me feel real good about my silence and isolation, justified in it. But I really realized that my tendency to respond in that way in hopes that the other person would understand just how much they've hurt me is ridiculous. <laughs> but Satan wants nothing more than to silence us or for us to have such aggressive outbursts that it puts wedges between our relationships that matter. But when we are able to tell the story and truly listen to the other side, clarity will come. I'm going to call the band up as I wrap up, but my question is, what's your story? What's your situation? When do you have this opportunity this week, this month, to have a difficult conversation that will set boundaries of freedom and allow you to walk in the fullness of God's plan for you? You know, uncertainty and unrest are not from God. But by having difficult conversations, it brings clarity and rest. So to recap, we start with our own hearts. Search me, oh God. Find any unclean way in me. Two, we create safety for dialogue, the free flow of relevant information. And three, analyze your story. Let your story be tested so you can act according to the full picture rather than your own limiting or incomplete story. Thank you for joining us for the Thrive Church podcast. We hope this message encouraged you, built your faith, and helped you thrive with God and thrive in life. We would love to see you on a Sunday soon, in person or online. You can get all the information at thrivecalgary.ca. If you would like to support and partner with Thrive Church financially, you can do so by going to thrivecalgary.ca and click the Give button. Know God is for you. We love you and have a great week.